Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that our time of praise and worship this morning in every every way has been pleasing in your sight, that we have honored your name, <clears throat> and in so doing, we've been drawn closer to you. And to, now we open up your scriptures that we believe your Holy Spirit inspired and that you can speak to us through these scriptures by your spirit. And I pray that every one of us would have hearing ears, that we would see what you what you desire for us to see today. And I pray that you give me the ability to speak the words of life uh, out of these words that would touch each one of us and every one of us as we leave this building today. I pray that we would have heard something of your voice today. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We will conclude not only our series on the Psalms, our summer series on the Psalms, um, but we will also conclude the Psalm that we've been in for several weeks, and that's Psalm 78. And uh, we'll be turning there in a moment. And um, we, you know, hopefully, God willing, y'all hadn't fired me or I hadn't died. Next summer, we'll go back to the Psalms. And uh, take them up again. Uh, today I've entitled the last section of this psalm, I've entitled it, He Chose David. Um, I, I sort of struggled with that, and I'll get to it in a little bit uh, with another title. But anyway, that was the one I settled on, He Chose David, because it's important. It's important to know who's choosing. I'm reminded of Brother Charles Simpson telling the story when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1964. And uh, Brother Ken Summerall had taken him to a meeting in Pensacola. And uh, <clears throat> after it was all over, uh, Brother Charles obviously had been touched by God, been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Brother Ken leaned back in his chair and he looked at Brother Charles. He said, you know, Charles, if I wanted to baptize, baptize people in the Holy Spirit, I'd have never picked you. <laughs> and Brother Charles said, Ken... I'm glad you wasn't doing the picking. <laughs> Aren't you glad God does the picking? Yeah. And we're going to finish, uh, actually we're going to finish talking about how God chose David. We will go back and look just for a moment at the lessons from last week's message. And of course, I've tried to do this in every message, so if you want to go back, anyway, you can get all of them. Uh, last week's message, we, these are the lessons that we gleaned from that. And that is, first of all, let us seek God without the need of calamity. Remember it said, when he killed them, they sought him. In other words, when God knocks your feet out from under you, you have a tendency to seek God. But let us seek God without needing our feet knocked out from under us. The second thing is to keep ever before us. That God is our rock. Remember it said they remembered that God was their rock. We need to remember that he is our source of stability. He's what's going to hold us through. Uh, someone, I was, uh, well, I started, I have to talk about myself and I don't like doing that. But I'm, I was, I walked in the restaurant the other day and there sat my brother from another mother, James Hambrick. And uh, he was meeting with some guys. I better start my timer. Y'all going to think I'm going to go forever. Uh, you know what that means, don't you? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, 
And, and, and James said, come sit with us and, and have lunch with us. And of course, some guys I'd never met. And of course, I was the only white guy at the table. Um, he said something about this, this man right here is a, is a stable, solid man. I hate talking about myself. But I said, you know why? Because God's stable. It's not me. Um, of course, I'm not as stable as you think as I am. But anyway. <laughs> Remember that God is the reason you, you find stability. Also in that same verse, it said they remembered that the most high, and this is the key. Say that with me, most high. See, it's not just any God, not just some God, not a puny God, but the most high is our redeemer. And if I'm going to have a redeemer, I want it to be the one who's most high. I don't want one I found at TGNY, and some of you have no idea what TGNY was. I don't know where that came from. TGNY is the forerunner for Walmart. Lord help us. We also need to make sure that we aren't offering just lip service to God. Remember he said that they just, they're doing a lot of talking, but it's not their heart. They don't really mean it. They're just saying stuff, try to make me happy, try to appease me. You ever had anybody do that to you? Boy, it just drives me. It just irks me when people just want to say something because they think that's what I want to hear. I won't go down there. In, in conjunction with that, we need to make sure that our heart is always steadfast toward God. And that way we won't be doing lip service. Heart steadfast toward God. Now, you have other things in your life, other things that you do, but your heart, it should be steadfast towards him. And, of course, we learned last week right in the middle of that passage that he is the God of compassion and forgiveness. Even though they had strayed, even though they had sinned, even though they continued to sin, it says he was full of compassion and he forgave their iniquity. People, we serve a forgiving God. You, Some of you think he, can, he can't forgive. I've heard people say, well, he can't forgive me. Yes, he can. Not only can he, he does. He does forgive. Because the other thing we learned is that we're the sheep of his pasture. We're his sheep. He's our shepherd. And that we learned the very last thing we learned last week, and of course we knew it, but we were reminded of it, is that our lines, our lot in life has fallen in pleasant places. And the reason our lines have fallen in pleasant places is because God established them and we didn't. You know, we, I told about how that our lines, last week how that our lines uh, we're in South Louisiana. We strayed. We went back to Panama City. And almost two years later, God said, now get back where you're supposed to be. We went back to South Louisiana where our lines were. And then one day God said, now your lines are in Middle Tennessee. And they have been here since 30, 1986, 37 years we've been in Middle Tennessee. But our lines are in pleasant places because he's the one that set the lines. And so today, that brings us to our passage in Psalm 78. And uh, we're going to begin reading at uh, verse 56. Uh, if you can, if you would, if you'd stand while I read the scripture. Um, I'm again reading from the English Standard Version. Um, and it says, yet, everybody say yet. Yes. Uh, yet. They tested it and rebelled against the Most High God. Now, but, oh, let me, I know you're standing, but hang on a minute. 
Last week we ended with God bringing them to the promised land. Remember that? So well, I wasn't here. How could I remember it? Well, I, anyway, last week we ended with him bringing them to the promised land. So that's where we take up the story in verse 56. They tested and rebelled against the most high God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow and a better translation there is like an, is, they were undependable as a crooked bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. In other words, there was no celebration. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke. That's the second title that I considered when God awakes, but we'll come back to that. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. It'd be bad to be Ephraim if he said, anyway. We built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. Verse 70, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. And with upright heart, he, David, shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. You can be seated. So as I said, this, verse 56, they have moved into the promised land. And by the way, this is a great historical account. <clears throat> and if I can remember right, I, sh- I should have looked. I think Psalm 106, 107, somewhere along in there, all of those do the same thing. They cover a good history of, of the children of Israel. Psalm 78, of course, does that in 72 verses. But they're in the promised land, and the fact is that even though they're in the, into the promised land, nothing much has changed. While they were in the wilderness, they you know, that's the previous verses we've studied. Now that they've moved into the promised land, now that he loved them, forgave them, shepherded them into the promised land, nothing much has really changed. And so this takes us, in a historical uh, account, it takes us from the time of Judges, um, and it leads up to the captivity of the ark by the Philistines. We'll come back to that. And then also the death of Eli, priest Eli, and his sons. So uh, some think that this might be covering as much as 500 years uh, in uh, in just these few short verses. Um, and yet... It said they tested and rebelled against the Most High God, and they did not keep his testimonies. Now, we've said this before, especially if you read Psalm 119, you learn that uh, the Word of God uh, is described in many ways. Statutes is one, precepts is another, of course, Word is one. But another way that God's Word is identified in the Scripture is his testimonies. We've, We've heard today about the value of testimony. And by the way, when God gives a testimony, you ought to be listening. I ought to be listening. They provoked God in the wilderness, I mean, in the the promised land. Now, they've crossed Jordan. 
They're in the promised land, yet they still provoked God to anger with their high places. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with high places. As a matter of fact, there are several instances in the Scripture, Old Testament, when places of worship were built in high places. So the high places is not the issue. The issue is that I can't get my glasses on fast enough. It says they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. That's the issue. And it was very common in that day for the children of Israel and others to build idols, put idols in high places so that they could, I guess, so that you could worship upward toward them. Of course, idolatry is one of the things that uh, that uh, really gets makes God angry. Idolatry is... In a simple term, idolatry is replacing God with alternatives. Now, we don't do this today, but it's good that we got the Old Testament to read about it. No, we probably don't have little statues in our house. Well, we might. We don't have statues in our yard. We might. I don't let me just sit down so y'all start throwing things. It might look like a boat. It might look like a set of golf clubs. Don't tell Charlie I said that. It might look like fill in the blank. You understand you can make an idol out of anything and anyone. Some people some let me sit back down. Some people have set up their children as idols. And because of that, the children suffer for it. I'll stand back up. <laughs> they provoked him with their idolatry in high places. And the object of Asaph in writing this psalm is to show us that it was the character of the people that they were prone to wander from God. They, they were just prone to do. I remember a few weeks ago we sang this song and I used the lyrics from the song, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Remember that? And the words in that song say, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And let's not, let's not pretend that we as human beings, even though we're not, our names are not written in the Old Testament, that we aren't prone sometimes. How do you wander from God? Let me just tell you this. You don't necessarily wander from God by saying, okay, bless God, I'm mad at God, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, I forget you. No, it's that you get cool in your faith. And you get distracted with other things, sometimes religious activity. You get, you move over here, and as we read earlier, your heart's not really steadfast. And somebody would walk up to you and say, well, I got faith. Well, you don't act like it. Prone to wander. And that's what he was selling us. It says he utterly rejected Israel. There's an interesting phraseology there that we have to deal with briefly. Uh, and uh, my glasses again. Uh, it's said in verse 59, when God heard, he was full of wrath. Now, he didn't, wasn't anybody, I mean, when, it says when God heard, it wasn't like a messenger came to him and said, by the way, you know what's going on? 
And it's not like God was surprised. Uh, uh, Really, a, a better translation there would be God heard. God heard, and he was full of wrath. God heard them provoking him. God heard their commitment to the idols, and he was full of wrath. And one of the things that we're not supposed to preach about today in, in modern churchdom is God's wrath. Because, you know, make people feel uncomfortable. Well, let me tell you something. We need to be uncomfortable. If we deserve God's wrath, we need to get God's wrath. And as you'll see, and as we've already seen, God's wrath is not necessarily there to crush us, but to redeem us. And sometimes, listen, sometimes God's mercy is he takes us out. He takes us on home. But I'm going to preach about God's wrath. I hope you're, that may be why we don't have a full church. <laughs> but he utterly rejected Israel. And how did he do that? What was God's punishment to Israel? Well, you go back and read, but he allowed the Ark of the Covenant, which is described in the scripture as his power and his glory. In verse 61, he allowed it to be captured by the Philistines. And then he allowed the priests, which was Eli and his sons, to be slain by the sword. God's presence is everything. Remember what Moses said in Exodus 33? He said, your presence is the only thing that distinguishes us from all the other people on the earth. That's no different today. Let me just reemphasize this again. We need to make sure that we're not worshiping a concept or a doctrine or a figurehead or a name, but we're worshiping a person. We're not just worshiping a person, but we're worshiping a living person that we have the ability every day to communicate with, to, to talk to and let him talk to us. We probably need to be doing more of that. But this, there's this relationship that we have with this living person. And as Brother Lawrence said, we have the capability to practice the presence of God. He removes every sign of his presence from among those people. And if you're Israel, this is serious business. And what he's saying to them is basically this. And we've done this in America. He said to Israel, he didn't say it, but this is basically what he's saying with his actions. If you don't want me, you shall not have me. People say, where's God when this happened? Well, you ran him off. You you told him to get. You told him you didn't want anything to do with him. Where do you think he is? He's being the God and the gentleman that he is. And he said this to Israel, if you don't want me, you don't, you're not going to have me. And so he moved his presence. The place of worship was removed from the t- tribe of Ephraim. Within whose limits was Shiloh, the tribe of Judah. Or he moved it to the tribe of Judah. And we'll deal with that in just a moment. But 
There's a reason for that, and, and of course, we'll see also that if you note takers, write down Genesis 49.10, that fulfilled a prophecy from Genesis 49.10 that, about the tribe of Judah. And then we come to this interesting verse that says, then God, then the Lord awoke. Then God awoke. Aren't you glad we don't have a sleeping God? The message in this final section is that in spite of everything, God still loved them. In spite of all of their wanderings, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their provoking him, in spite of everything, of him even having to remove all symbols, all, all parts of his presence, he still loved Israel, and I'm telling you, I don't care what you've done, God still loves you. He seemingly awoke. He seemingly awoke. Obviously, we know we can be facetious all we want to, but we know God never sleeps. We already know that. God's, you never catch God asleep, and you have to kick his throne to wake him up doesn't happen. But he seemingly woke up to redeem and to protect and to vindicate his people. It says, it says, it's interesting wording there. It says that he, the Lord awoke us from sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine. Now, Asaph is not telling us that God was acting like a drunk man. That's not what he meant. What he meant was there was energy with God. When he awoke, like, like a guy who's had too much to drink, he woke with some, you know, energy and shouting. And to help us better, I, I'm going to give us this verse from Isaiah. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He, he will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will in, utter a shout. Yes. He will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. That's what Asaph was talking about when he said God awoke. And he awoke like a guy with much wine because he is going forth with zeal. He's shouting like a man of war. This is what he's talking about. Like a strong man. Do we sometimes think that God has gone to sleep on us? You don't have to answer that because we all do. There's times in our life when we think, I think God's forgotten about me. I think God's, he's gone off somewhere else. You know, what's, what's going on here? Why, why hasn't he interrupted my issues? Sometimes we think that. But see what happens. Then God, something happens in our life. And we think, well, he woke up. How many of you know when God told the devil, have you considered my servant Job? How about you go down there and see what you can do with him? How many of you know God didn't go back, go back to sleep? You don't know, strong go to sleep. All the while, Job was sitting there in boils on his body and people dying all around him. All the while, everything he had was being taken away from him. And yet God was not asleep. It seemed like that God woke up at the end of the book of Job because the Bible says 
that whatever Job had lost, God gave him back double because he prayed for his friends. There's a lesson. But God wasn't asleep. And God's not asleep when you're going through what you're going through or what you've gone through, what you did go through. He's not asleep. He wasn't asleep then. He won't be, he won't be next time. He awoke from what looked like apparent inactivity to take action. Apparent inactivity to take action. Isaiah said his zeal was stirred up. And he's taking action on behalf of his people who are suffering. I don't miss that. He, he arose from apparent inactivity to take action on behalf of his people who are suffering. And here's the key. They were suffering due to their own unbelief. And due to your own unbelief, you suffer. You make bad choices. I make bad choices. And we deal with the consequences of those choices. But at the end of the day, it looks like God woke up. But it wasn't that he woke up. It's, what, it's that he, he comes out of his seeming inactivity to, be, to uh, act on our behalf. And we say, okay, he must have woke up. No, he just it was time. And then he chose the tribe of Judah. Not only did he choose the tribe of Judah to have the place of worship, but he chose a king from the tribe of Judah rather than the tribe of Ephraim. Now, just a little bit of history. When the children of Israel crossed over, uh, the Levites, one of the 12 tribes, the Levites were not given any land, any inheritance. Their job was to be ministers, to be pastors, if you will, to be the priests. Their job was solely to be in the temple. As a matter of fact, if you'll read Nehemiah, when he comes back from Jerusalem and he finds the, the Levites out working in the field, he gets mad because that's not where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in the temple studying the Word of God and ministering. And so because of that, the Levitical priesthood does not have an inheritance. So God chose two tribes, two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, and included them in the 12 tribes. And because of that, Joseph is not even listed. So when you see the 12 tribes of Israel, you'll see these two names, Manasseh and Ephraim, sons of Joseph, instead of the Levites. And so you would think Joseph would be special to God, and he was. But God in that moment said, Ephraim, Israel, I'm moving not only my presence, but I'm choosing a king from the tribe of Judah. And as I said, Genesis 49.10 prophesies that. And so he chooses David, in which is, I think it's First Samuel 16, if you want to study that story of David becoming the king. It says he chose David from the sheepfold. I think it's interesting to me, maybe to you, but he said he chose David from the sheepfold from following the nursing ewes, lambs. Why would he include that description? Why would he include the description of David taking care of the young lambs, taking care of the sheep in, the, in his father's sheepfold? Well, 
you remember, Peter, James, and John were called from their occupation of fishers. They were fishermen. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. It would have made no sense if Jesus would have said to Peter, James, and John, I'm going to make you shepherds of the flock. Because they wouldn't have got that. They understood fishing. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So he takes David, who knows all about shepherding, and he says to him, I'm going to let you shepherd my people. I'm going to let David shepherd my people. He says Israel, his inheritance. So stay with me. I hope that coffee's working. It Now the loving care of God as, as the great shepherd who brought his flock out of Egypt, kicking and screaming, dragging their feet, send us back. At least we had graves back there. Remember? Is now embodied. Here's the word. Say embodied. His care, his love is now embodied in his servant David. David is the shepherd, little s, of Israel. It says that he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. Now, we know David wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, that's putting it mildly. I mean, David, I mean, David was, it says, the Bible says, when at a time when kings go to war, David stayed home. Now, you think I'm about to give David a hard time, but I'm not. But I want to point out something. At a time when kings go to war, in other words, when normally a king, he's off fighting the war. At that time, David chose to stay home and send his army away because the next thing he's doing, he's watching Bathsheba bathe. Because I think he planned it. Well, obviously that messed up, and he tried to, you know, there was a baby, so he tried to have her husband go spend the night with her, and her husband said, I'm too honorable of a man, I'm just going to sleep on the doorstep. So David, being the, yeah, I mean, again, you can just take this up with God. David sends him back to the front line, he tells Joab, make sure he's in the front line where he's going to get killed, because we got to get rid of him. Now, this is the guy that the Bible says he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. This is the guy, and here's the key, that God said, this is a man who is after my own heart. And yet this is what 1 Kings 9, 4 says about David. As, and as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father, obviously he's talking to Solomon, walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. He walked before him with integrity of heart and uprightness. Now, his actions weren't always that of integrity. But his heart was after God. Now, you can stray, 
But if your heart is after God, he can restore you. He can redeem you. If you don't care, then there's no hope. It says he guided him with a skillful hand. And I just want to say to you, don't disdain wherever God has your hands today. I mean, over the years I've heard people say, well, I wish I could get away from this old secular job and do something for God. Well, if you do something for God now, maybe, or maybe just maybe you're called to do that, whatever that is. Don't think a vocation is secular or carnal. Anytime you're producing, you're, you're emulating God. But sometimes when God gives you a skill and gives you the ability to develop a skill, sometimes God says, that's a good skill, now I'm going to use it over here. I don't know. Here's how I want to finish up. It's obvious, but I'm going to point it out anyway. And that is that David is a forerunner of the chief shepherd, the coming Messiah. See, that when he says he chose David, that's not entirely about David. Obviously, he's speaking of David, but I think there's one of the reasons he talks about being a shepherd and t- taking care of the sheep and the, and the lambs. Because he is a forerunner. Peter tells us that when the chief shepherd appears. And of course, we know who that is. Ezekiel said it this way, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. So it's, there's this huge emphasis of David becoming the shepherd over Israel, over Judah. Jesus says an interesting thing in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Is it possible that when Jesus made that statement, one of the things he had on his mind was remembering David fighting off the bear and the lion for his to protect his sheep. He said, lays down his life for the sheep. Because David did. David risked his life for his sheep. Remember, he, he killed the bear, he killed the lion, protected his sheep. There is a difference, though, saints. David risked his life for his sheep, but Jesus gave his life on the cross for his sheep, for you and for me. I don't think it's any accident that David's in the lineage of, or Jesus is in the lineage of David. I don't think it's any accident that he said one of your offspring will sit on the throne. And today, as we worshiped Jesus today, he was sitting on the throne as an offspring of David ruling over his kingdom, and he will for eternity. Isaiah said, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Out of David comes the Messiah. The next verse says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All of that, he said, would rest on the Messiah. 
while he was here with us. Just a few verses later, Isaiah writes, It will also come about in that day, of course this is God speaking, that the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all his peoples. So we have moved from Jesse. We've moved from Jesse. We've moved from his son David. God chose David. We've moved from that to the root of Jesse, who is obviously the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And he is like a banner for all the peoples, for you and for me. The nations will seek him. If that's not enough, Revelation 5, 5 says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Notice how R and D are capitalized, root and David. Because we know who that is. The, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. We're just saying today, overcame. You overcame. If that's not enough, let's go into the red letters. Arn Baxter used to get, the late Arn Baxter used to get so wound up when people talk about red letter Bibles, red letters in the Bible. Arn would say in his Canadian brogue, let me tell you something. All the scriptures are the words of Jesus, not just the red ones. Anyway, I liked it. Watch this. Revelation twenty two sixteen. I... Jesus, so now we have no question about who's talking. Even a, anyway. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So we've got children of Israel rebelling. God moves his presence from Ephraim to Judah. God wakes up, supposedly defends them. He starts running the Philistines off and defeating them. Gets the ark back at some point. David brings the ark back into the city. And that's when his his wife, Michael, was looking out the window. And he was dancing, bringing the ark into the city. And she despised him, the scripture says. She was Saul's daughter. She despised David, scripture says. See, I'm not going, you're not going to get me today. She despised David because he was dancing with the Ark of the Covenant, bringing it into town. Let me just tell you something. As far as I know, my, my knowledge is limited, but as far as I know, Michael, his wife, is the only barren woman in the Scripture that never bore a child. I don't, I, I can't. Prove me wrong, I'm, I'm up for that. But if you look at all the other barren women, they all eventually bore children. Michael did not, and I think some of it had to do with that moment. So we go from rebellion to God chasing the Philistines off to God to saying God chose David who was shepherding sheep, and he made him the shepherd of Israel. But I think without... Without even any question whatsoever, we have moved from David to the root of the root of David and the root of Jesse. And Jesus himself tells us that, that he's the descendant of David. And so Psalm 78 is really the gospel. If you read it that way, it's the gospel because God, despite their wanderings, despite their failings, 
God defended them. God protected them. God loved them, and he gave them a shepherd. And despite the human race running away from God, he has given us a Savior. He's given us a shepherd. He's given us a Messiah, the bright and morning star. And despite the failings of the human race, the Father has graciously provided us for us a shepherd. Aren't you glad about that? We worshiped him today. We still worship him. And I pray that when we go out of here, we still worship him. Please don't let this be the only place you worship God. Stand with me.